Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. I don't know, in other cultures of the world, I know in our culture, uh, we use the, lo- the word love uh, very loosely. And a lot of times when we use it loosely, like we, we could say that we love things. And, and obviously I could say to my wife, I love you, Sharice. I could say to each one of my children, I love you, to my mom, to my father-in-law and mother-in-law, to my sister, brother-in-law, and so on, sisters-in-laws, brother-in-law. I could say that. And I feel that I mean that in the way that I know what love means. But then I also say, I love pizza, I love Steelers, I love chocolate, I love vacation. And we use that word so flippantly that it's like if we actually draw back and look at what love means in scripture, that we'd probably use that word a lot less. And when we said it, we would make sure that we absolutely mean it. So I'd probably say that I really, 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 really like pizza. I really, really, really like the Steelers and so on. But I don't know if I'd use the word love. If you want a definition of love, just look at Jesus. Just look at his life, look at his lifestyle, look at his teachings, look at what he did. That is the definition of love. So it's not just giving chocolates and flowers every so often. It's not just being nice. It is the eminence, the, the, the demonstration of a lifelong, selfless lifestyle of complete love. He was filled with God. He was filled with God's spirit. And out of that, he lived a life of love. This love brings freedom. So when we're talking about Jesus and his lifestyle, that has to then change how we live. So in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, there is no fear in love. If you think about anger, if you think about uh, rage, if you think about uh, losing our temper, a lot of that revolves around the fear of not being able to control another person or a situation. So out of that anxiety and out of that I can't control and out of that you're not doing what I want you to do, love doesn't come out. Anger and, and fits of rage come out instead. And it's because most of the time, of fear. We fear that we're not in control of the situation. But it says, there is no fear in love. It says, perfect love drives out or casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. So what's happening is you're afraid something bad's gonna happen to you because somebody else is doing something that you don't want them to do to you. Because they're being mean to you, because they're being unjust to you, you become afraid. And then we react and act and respond a lot of times the way the world does instead of out of love. Now, if we were living in love, then that would cast out and drive out all fear. So if we would say, listen, I've already died to myself. And so now I'm just living for Christ and in Christ. Now I'm not worried about punishment anymore. I'm not afraid of what anybody else can do to me in this life if I'm walking in the love that Jesus had. There's no way Jesus would still have been able to be compassionate, kind, loving, the healer, all of that stuff, knowing behind the scenes, right around the corner, the religious officials of that day were planning his murder. There's no way if he had fear within him that he would have been able to do all of that knowing how much other people hated him. It says fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We've talked about in the past several weeks uh, how the, the enemy will try to cause confusion in your own life and in the body of Christ. 
but how the Lord, and we've seen it throughout the Old Testament, how the Lord is the only one legally allowed to bring confusion, and he does it against the devil and the demonic. We've also talked about how to go to battle and different strategies. And we've said we're gonna talk about spiritual warfare throughout this fall, talking about the armor of God. But I want you to know that love is the most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Think about what the enemy tries to do. The enemy tries to destroy culture by destroying relationship. And how does he destroy relationship? It's failed people interacting with failed people, butting heads to a point where they just can't get along. But if we, as a church family, if we, as the body of Christ, could figure out and actually walk out the love that we see in Jesus's life, it would cast out the fear in our own lives, and we would begin to demonstrate what God wants us to demonstrate as the body of Christ. And we would see restoration begin to happen. And that's not what the enemy wants to see. He wants to see division, hatred, strife, gossip, backbiting, slander, all that stuff. So do you see, when we think of love, you think of soft and nice and all hearts, heart emoji. I'm telling you, you walk in joy and you walk in love. That is a fierce weapon against the devil and his plans in your life. So the reason is this, love brings freedom. It brings freedom from fear. It brings freedom from fear that you're going to be punished by somebody who doesn't like you. It brings freedom because when people start to treat you in a certain way and they demean you and criticize you and even lie about you, you're not finding your value in them anymore. You're finding your value in Christ. So you're not afraid of them anymore. You're not afraid of their words. You're not afraid of their actions. And it's not like you're being cocky or prideful. You've actually died to yourself already. So because you're dead, your old nature is in the grave, then it's kind of impossible to embarrass your old nature. It's, it's impossible to demean your old nature. It's impossible to put down and to hurt so then you can never move on with your life if your old nature is already dead and buried in the grave. And the only way that we're gonna get to that part is if we are willing to live in love. So it brings freedom from all that stuff. It brings freedom from having to have the perfect profile on your social media page because it's not about you anymore, right? Because a lot of what we do, whether it's on social media or whether it's in conversations, when we're being criticized, a lot of it is self-protection, self-preservation. So what does that come out of? That comes out of pride and selfishness, self-centeredness, right? Because you're saying all these things and you're doing these things that I don't like against me. So what I'm gonna do is put up my guard, I'm gonna put up my shield and I'm gonna preserve myself. I'm going to keep my good reputation because, you know, that counts in this life. And all these things we do. And what we end up doing is manipulating situations instead of being love. We do all these things. Watch Jesus's life. Not once did he ever put up a wall. Not once he said, you're being mean to me. I have to leave. You've lied about me. I'm done with you. Never did he put up a wall. He continued to press in. He continued to advance the kingdom all the way to what point? giving up his life. So what does love do? Love leads to you dying to yourself. Jesus did it literally on the cross and he told us, if we wanna follow him, what do we have to do? Pick up our cross to follow him daily. So if we're going to live in love, then that will require us to die to ourselves. I once thought that that happened one time and that happened in the baptismal tank, right? We give our life to Jesus, we're forgiven of our sins, we go in the baptismal tank, we're buried. 
Our old nature is gone. And then you meet new people and they frustrate you. And you're like, okay, I have to die to myself all over again, right? And then you go into different seasons. When you get married and you're interacting with different people, when you become a parent, all that stuff brings out selfishness and self-centeredness in me. Maybe in you too. Maybe this is just about me. (laughs) So what I realize is, like, this is not one time. Gene, it is so good to see you today, buddy. I'm sorry, I just noticed Gene Neff is with us. That's awesome. Yeah. No. But it's a daily choice that I am going to keep my old man in the grave where he belongs so that I'm going to live in Christ, how I was created to be in him, so that I can actually be love. I can actually be love. So let's admit this. There are people in this world that don't like you. This is like not, not what you want to hear from a pastor on a Sunday morning. Like, what? I don't come to church to hear this. You know what we do is we act like it doesn't exist. So when we treat people the way they've treated us, we don't have to feel bad about it. But if we admit it, there are people that don't like you in this world. And there might be people that dislike you so much that they would say in their own heart that they hate you. There might be people in this world that they would cheat, lie, and scheme against you and would actually feel good inside if you went down. If you were burned out, sad, depressed, and said, I just don't know how to handle this, especially non-believers. They don't want your Christian life to work. They don't want, they don't want your, your step-by-step, I read the Bible and pray every day, I'm gonna grow, grow, grow. They don't want that to work. So there are people out there that they might not even be admitting it, there are people that have, have angst and opposition against you in their heart. Now, it hurts the worst when it's another Christian. But unfortunately, it still happens from time to time that we face this opposition from Christians alike. So even throughout the rest of this message, I want you to think of just a, a few areas. I'm not gonna preach through them point by point, but I feel like the Lord's saying just four areas of growth if we wanna live like Jesus is love. The first one is to die to yourself. I've already talked about it, so we can live for Christ. If we do not die to our old nature, oh, and I know our old nature is buried. I'm talking about whenever our flesh, those acts of the flesh begin to come up, temptation again. The second is to accept yourself as God accepts you in Christ. Like sometimes you just have to get over yourself already and accept yourself. Third is to forgive yourself and to forgive others. Huge reason why you can't love others is because you haven't forgiven yourself, because you haven't forgiven others. And the fourth is to choose to love when others do not love. So we'll have an opportunity at the end of service. We'll have our altar team up here uh, as we dismiss the rest of you. And you can come up and receive prayer for one of those areas or touching your heart. So Jesus, he gave a very clear picture of what it would be to live in love. Now, there was a Pharisee, a religious official that asked him a question. He said, Jesus, or not, not, yeah. He came up to him and he said, what is the greatest commandment? So what he was speaking of is probably most likely out of the Old Testament. He wanted Jesus to say, well, have no other gods before me, have no idols, don't worship them, don't take the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath, honor your father and your mother. He was looking for one of those 10 roles. Which one is Jesus going to say? And they were trying to catch him in being wrong. And Jesus answers this way in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Jesus replies in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So think about these two commandments. The greatest one, take your heart, your mind, your soul, and love 
Jesus, love the Lord with everything that you have. Guess what happens when you do that? All of your focus is on him. All of your attention is on him. All of your acceptance is in him. Your entire identity is in him. So now when other people try to affect you negatively through the working of the enemy, it doesn't work. You have your your full substance in him already. So what happens? You're no longer living, but it's Christ who lives in you and through you. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. So break this down a little bit more. What Jesus is telling us to do in the second command is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it might be you, it might be the other Christian that that you interact with. But the reason why there are Christians who are still cranky and critical is because you have not learned how to love yourself. I'm not talking about self-help. I'm not talking about pop culture. Because you hear, well, self-love. No, we're supposed to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. Okay, you've denied yourself. Your old man is dead. Now it's Christ who lives in you. Should you not honor that by loving what Christ has done in you? So what happens is this, we don't love ourselves. we don't accept ourselves. we think we're losers, we think we're failures, and, and to soothe the pain in our soul, we deflect all of that feeling that we wanna feel about ourselves and we push it onto other people. You might know a person like that that will find something wrong in every single person they know. Well, they do this and they do this. Well, they're always this, they're always this, they're always this. I guarantee you, if they would take a look, if maybe it's you, maybe if you take a look at yourself, you might realize there is an area of your life that you have not forgiven yourself in yet. There's an area of your life that you say, like, I'm not lovable in this area. I'm not accepted in this area. So we have to go all the way back to the moment in time where you gave your life to Jesus. You're either accepted by the Father or you're not. Does this make sense? There's not like a gray line where you kind of just swing in and out of. You're fully and thoroughly accepted by the Father. And when we realize that, and we realize how loved we are by him, then we will love and respect ourselves. We will realize that we are worth being forgiven of because of the blood of Jesus, not because of us. And we'll be able to walk in that forgiveness in ourselves. And out of that, we'll be able to forgive other people. We'll receive love from God. We'll be able to give love to other people. And then we'll be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is what Jesus taught. I'm gonna read several verses here, then we'll just touch on a few of them. Luke chapter six, starting at verse 27. I'm gonna read out of the New International Version. If you have a different translation you wanna read out, that's fine. Earlier in uh, this chapter, Jesus went up to the mountaintop. He prayed all night. Heavenly Father gave him the 12 apostles to choose out of the disciples that were following him. Then he starts with what we would know as the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry. He gives some warnings and he goes right into this teaching. So this is early teaching after he chose the apostles. Starting at verse 27, it says, you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Wow. Like we could stop. No, this is a fun one. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other, the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expect to be, uh, expecting to be repaid in full. Love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So like we deserve hell, we deserve eternal punishment and he's withholding that from us because of his love. If we put that into context, say, okay, so now do that to everybody else. It's people like talk about you this much and we're like, Rah! I'm not trying to be hard on you, I'm just being real. Like this is what I feel like on the inside of me at times. I have to, I have to refocus. What did Jesus do? What was his lifestyle of love? So Jesus actually lived this. Jesus loved his enemies and did good to those who hated him, right? Romans 5 says it very clearly. He demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So we were in opposite. We were enemies of God, and yet he still, Jesus did good to us, and he loved us. He blessed those who cursed him, right? What happened with Peter? Peter denies him three times. In fact, Peter basically called a curse on himself if, if the, that girl didn't believe him. So he denies him three times and Jesus blesses Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And basically establishes him as the leader of the church. Jesus prayed for those who mistreated him on the cross, on the cross. He's hanging on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How many of us in a time of even just small mistreatment do we actually see those people through the eyes of the Father? Amen. Like, we're not on a cross. Somebody lied about you. Somebody called you a jerk. I mean, like, what? when we're comparing this, Jesus was on the cross praying, forgive them. Amen. We focus so much on the person who has done us wrong, not realizing it is the devil and the demonic trying to ruin a relationship trying to distort our identity. And in that moment of hurt, see, this is the thing. Jesus never said it wasn't going to hurt. Like this isn't like nice and clean life, right? So this, it hurts. Can we be real there? It hurts. It's painful. It can feel like our soul's being torn out if we're betrayed, if there's division. It's in those moments where we choose to love where the other person or the other party is not lovable. We're saying, I'm gonna to choose to love. So Father, show me them through your eyes. Let me see them in your perspective. Oh, wow, they're hurting. It's out of their pain that they hurt me. Soon as you see it from God's perspective, you can actually do what Jesus did and pray for them. He turned the other cheek. When he came, when the, the, the uh, soldiers came to arrest him, right? Peter's pulling out his sword. He's cutting off ears. I mean, he's like ready to go to battle. This is warfare, and Jesus is like, no, we're not gonna do battle this way. He just turns the other cheek and he knows that the father is gonna have his will be accomplished, even through the actions of evil people. He gave to everyone who asked. It says that a couple of different times throughout the New Testament and multiple gospels that he healed every person who came to him. Anybody that came to him desiring to be touched, he touched. And his entire lifestyle, he did to others as he would want them to do to him. Some of these teachings are literal, some of them are figurative, but they all have to do with the condition of your heart. 
right? Every single one of them. He could have like used these verses as kingdom living 101. These are basic principles of how we are supposed to operate in the kingdom of God. And it's completely opposite. I mean, it is in complete and direct opposition to the way 100% of the rest of the world operates. And he's saying, listen, blessed are you of this. Blessed are you of this. Okay, let me get to this point. Love those who hate you. Be kind to those who hate you. Treat them well. You know those people that dislike you and want to see you come to ruin? Do good things to them. He's saying, this is how my kingdom operates. And he starts off by saying, I say, or but to, to, to you who are listening. He's not just saying, hey, if you're, if you're in earshot. He's saying like, if you really want to listen, if you want to obey what I'm about to teach you, right? He's not ever going to exert force to, to make you listen to him. He's saying, These are, this is the way the kingdom operates, right? So when we come into Christ, we are a new creation. He's giving us a new way to live. He starts off with this, is love your enemies. It's the first phrase there, challenges all bit, all parts of our pride, our self-preservation, any type of selfish motive. I mean, he's asking us to do the unthinkable. If you, if you think about it, in our human flesh, it is impossible for us to love our enemies. So it's at this moment, if we're gonna decide to love our enemies, then we have to decide, are we going to die to all of our pride, all of our selfish motives, and all of our self-preservation? We're going to tear the walls down and do what Jesus did. I'm going to do this uh, sometime in the next couple days. I would encourage you to do it now if you want to. If not, do it when you get home. If you tear off uh, a page from the uh, notebook, notepad that's in front of you, if you put a big circle around the center of it and you put words like love, bless, do good, pray for, right? Any other phrases that I'm missing, but love, do good, bless, pray for. There might be a few other ones in that circle. And as the Lord starts dropping people on your heart, and this is where it's the hard part, of people that you would consider has, have made them your enemy, right? I'm not saying that you have made them your enemy. I'm saying they have chosen to be your enemy. Or you feel like, well, this person highly dislikes me. Maybe write their initials, maybe write their first name. And then after you have names throughout here, people that mistreat you, people that curse you, as you write these names around the side of this, then you intentionally, by an act of your will, draw an arrow from that center to their name. Say, Father, only by your grace and by your mercy, by an act of your Holy Spirit, I am going to love this person. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to bless this person. I'm going to do good to this person. It's completely countercultural, but it's the way his kingdom was designed to operate. So it says here, do good to those who hate you. I mean, that, the, the world says, if somebody hates you, you get them back twice as hard. Don't you even think about, don't you even think about doing something good to them because you, have, you cannot lose your pride, you cannot lose your, sta- your status, your stance, all, your reputation, all that stuff. And Jesus is like, find the people who hate you and do good to them. Like picture if one person, I don't don't care if you're Republican, Democratic, liberal, conservative, I'll get political on you for a moment. Find one person in the political realm that is willing to say, wow, 
I really honor how strong your stance is, even though it is completely opposed to me. And then find a way to bless that person, honor that person, and do good things to that person. That's called spiritual warfare. Do you know that? Somebody who hates you has so much anger in their heart, has, has so much division in their heart. They actually want to see you fail. They want to see you in pain. And when you show them that they're the evil that is behind their heart, that isn't even them, it's the enemy working through them. When you, when you demonstrate good to them, you're showing them that their evil has no power over you. You're showing them that hatred is not going to win in this situation. Like, did you ever think baking somebody a pie who outwardly dislikes you would be spiritual warfare? I mean, somebody that just talks bad about you. I, I hate you. I wish you weren't my neighbor. And you come over when you know the husband's out of town and says, can I cut your grass for you? I know so-and-so's out of town. Do you ever think how that neutralizes the enemy? What does hatred do? Hatred, disagreement, it separates so what the enemy's trying to do is you think differently than I do. Now, because of that, I have feelings of anger and dislike towards you. And because of that, we have to now be separate. But when we do good, what we're saying is we're not, we're not afraid now. We're not nervous to be next to a person who dislikes us. We're actually going to die to all of our pride. And we're, we don't care if we're humiliated, embarrassed, whatever. We don't care if we get the door slammed in our face. We're going to go toward them. What's that doing? That's minimizing the separation that the enemy wants us to be here. So you continue to press in and do good and do good and do good. And what it does is it softens the person's heart that has that hatred or dislike or anger towards you. Amen. It's so practical and yet so powerful. You know, there, there's a story, I just heard it in a meeting this week. I forget who I was meeting with, but I've read it too about a man uh, who killed a lady's, murdered a lady's son. And years later, she visited with this guy. And I don't know how, I don't know the details of the story, but he ends up getting out of prison and she housed this, this man. She actually housed him and cared for him for a season of his life. It's doing good to those who are completely bound by the enemy and anger, hatred, strife, all that stuff. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, when you hear a cutting word, an accusation, a lie, a mistreatment, again, that hurts. It's personal to you. But it's in those moments, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond? Like, I wanna choke the person, but how do I respond? <laughs> like, if we're real, then we can say to the Lord, I have those feelings inside of me. I'm like, not perfect, I'm not all put together. But in our anger, don't sin. I'm not even making light of it. Like, it's not good that I have those feelings of frustration and anger at times. But it's, what, it's how you respond in that moment. Are you going to listen to the Holy Spirit or are you going to listen to your flesh? It's in those moments that can define the next 5, 10, 15 years of your life. Someone curses you, you come back. Don't you ever talk, da, 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 da. You listen to your flesh in those moments. It can ruin a relationship for decades. If you say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to act? You know, you're allowed to obey the Lord while your body and your flesh feel completely different. Amen. It's like a sacrifice of praise. It's doing something you're like, feel all eagerly about. I don't know what the word is. And you're saying, like, I don't want to do this. I don't even, I don't like that I'm doing this, but I know I'm following the Holy Spirit. I'm going to demonstrate what Jesus' love demonstrated. I'm going to do it. 
That's obedience, even if it doesn't feel right. It's obedience to demonstrate the love of Jesus. In Romans 12, 14, I'm gonna read some of these and then I'll finish up just with two quick examples. Romans 12 is a great uh, cross-reference to these things. It's a, this is now Paul. He's saying, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, say me. Live, that was weak, say me. As far as it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you and me, live at peace with everyone. The illustration the Lord gave me years ago is it's, it's building your half of the bridge. Okay, so something happens in a relationship, something happens in the church, whatever happens, and you feel like there's separation in relationship, there's separation, uh, uh, there's division. What you want to do, as far as it depends on you, is to live at peace. So what you do is you build your half of the bridge. How do you do that? By reaching out to them, by calling, by sending a card, by demonstrating you still love them, by explaining to them that you've already forgiven them. And your half of the bridge remains built. Whether they choose to rebuild theirs or not is not up to you because you can't control them. So what you could do is you can go to bed at night and not be all worked up because they're still mad at you because your half of the bridge is built. Here's the barometer that I always use. If you see that person in Walmart, will you hide in the car dial or will you walk to them and say hello? That will measure if you've built your half of the bridge or not. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I've said it before. When we don't forgive other people and we want to take action because we want them to be punished for what they've done to us, we sit in the judge's throne. And when we sit there, we remove the Lord's ability to actually minister to our heart or theirs. So when we step off of the judge's throne and say, I'm submitting this entire situation to you, if they continue to mistreat me, I will keep my half of the bridge built. Now the Lord can do as he wishes in that situation. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is not that they're gonna receive more punishment because that would be completely the wrong motive, right? Do good, do good, do good. They're gonna get theirs. No, that's, that's called unforgiveness, right? That heaping coals, it was an act in those times of shame. It was an act of I've done something wrong. So what you're doing is you are doing good to them as they're doing bad to you in the hopes that they will see where they are wrong. Feel that shame on the inside, like not be publicly shamed and repent. Have a heart softened. Does that make sense? It's a little bit different now. So you're not doing it so they feel, they feel horrible and they're publicly uh, shamed. It's not at, at that at all. You're doing good to break down the wall in their heart. So he goes on in verse 21, uh, Adam, you can come up at this time. He says, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have no right ever to call somebody else evil. Do you understand that? This is not us versus other people who are doing us wrong, mistreating us, hating us, cursing us. This is us versus the enemy of our soul. And we have the Holy Spirit within us, empowering us and giving us grace to do the things that Jesus taught. You know, the Lord taught me two powerful lessons over in this area for, for blessing those who curse and praying for those who mistreat you. About 10 years ago, when I was an associate pastor, uh, someone that I was close with at one time and served with at one time uh, began to have different opinions about me. And uh, they started to just 
not make accusations, but just saying very demeaning things toward me and actually gave me some advice about what I should do with my ministry. And it was very hurtful because I used to be, you know, uh, similarly close or closer with this individual. And in everything in me, I wanted to just email back. I wanted to write, how dare you? And this, this, and we used to be this. I was so mad on the inside. I was so hurt on the inside. And I'm telling you, over several months period of the time, it took that much time for there to be healing. And it was, I don't know if it was six months, nine months. I didn't go back to check my records. But at some point in time, I ended up writing uh, this individual. The Lord gave me like 30 or 40 points to bless them with. And he showed me like 30 or 40 areas of how this individual added value to my life, helped me in my ministry, encouraged me along the way. And in that, what I did is I chose to then write this entire letter. Uh, and it was just saying, I bless you with this. I bless you because of this. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. And I went uh, and I delivered it to where that individual was living at the time. And my hands are sweating and I'm all nervous. And they weren't home. So that was okay. I was like, all right. <laughs> But it wasn't, it wasn't for several months uh, later that I heard back from them and we ended up being able to be restored. We were able to have good conversations and so on. He was able to thank me uh, for writing that. But it wasn't just for me. It brought freedom for me. It was like, oh, this is so freeing that someone could come against you so hard and I can love and bless and actually thank you for things and not even mention the bad stuff that they said to me, right? Well, even though you hurt me really bad, I just wanna thank you for this. No, 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 no. You've forgiven them, and now you bless, you bless, you bless, you thank, you thank, you pray, you pray. Now, if I would have done that and then checked my email day after day, is he gonna text me back? Is he gonna email me? Is he gonna get back to me? Wrong motive, doesn't count. But if you do it to set your heart free and you do it in order for the Lord to work on their heart, to soften their heart, then you leave it up to the Lord. And if that person's never restored to you, you can't help that. Fortunately, in this situation, it was. Second situation that has taught me so much. <clears throat> Since I've been a lead pastor, I've like pastors and stuff, and you guys might face it too. You know, sometimes we'll receive uh, anonymous letters. Sometimes they're just statements of damnation and cursing and just, just mean things. But uh, on two specific occasions when I received these things, of course, I let my wife know so she could pray about it. And I let my elders know, and I appreciate my elders and their spouses so much. I mean, they're true prayer warriors, intercessors. And I would just get, I'm getting text after text. I'm praying for you, scripture verses and so on. But when I receive these, like I go to war with scripture verses and prayer. And I'm breaking this thing. I'm rebuking this thing. I'm going after, going after it. And both times, one of our elders texted back and said, I will begin praying for God's blessing on that person's life. And both times I'm like blown away. I'm like, that is where I should have started. Instead of, instead of like, Okay, how am I gonna preserve myself? How am I gonna make sure I'm clean from all of what he's saying or this person's saying about me? I should say, Father, I ask for your holy blessing to come and rest upon them right now. I ask that you would soften their heart, not for my benefit, but for theirs. I ask that your love would flood their soul. I ask that God, if they're keeping themselves in a place of judgment by not forgiving themselves, if they're, if they're holding unforgiveness toward me, God, I pray that in your kindness, that would lead to their repentance. So I've learned from that. It's taken me two times, but I've learned. The next time, if it happens again, that's where I'm gonna start. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then the Lord will give you strategy for yourself to remain free from anything that could bind you. 
I believe that this is possible for the body of Christ. I believe it's possible for us as a church family to actually be known, to be known not by our individual names, but to be, to be known as this person from Central. I don't even know their name. Why? Because your old nature is dead to yourself. This isn't about us. But that this church family knows how to do this. We know how to live in love. We know how to take people that are angry at us, that have lied about us, that have accused us for things, that try to cause division. And we know how to cut through all the darkness with love. Why don't we stand at this time? Jesus, in your own words, you told us to do unto others as we would want them to do to us. God, we don't look at that as like a nice little plaque that we would hang up on a wall. We look at that as a powerful kingdom principle that if we can get that one statement right, if we can get that one statement right, Lord, how much more peace in our life we would have, how much more restoration we would have, and God, how we can blow the world away with how we love others. Father, I pray that by the actions of the people that are in this room, even in the upcoming days and weeks, if the enemy would attack us through another person, through a lie, through gossip, through slander, accusation, anger, fits of rage, a lost temper, I pray, Father, that if we face that attack, that first of all, we would know where it comes from. Second of all, that we'd be sensitive enough to your Holy Spirit to respond, to do to them as we would want them to do to us. And God, I pray that in this upcoming season, people would actually come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior be, simply because of how we love them. That God, maybe we've never even said, hey, this is my testimony, or have you ever received Jesus? I pray that in the workplaces across Washington County, in the school districts across Washington County, in the community centers across Washington County, that people would begin to see the love of individuals from this church family and say, what in the world is different about you? What is different about you? And Father, just the demonstration of the love of Jesus would open doors wide for sharing about your saving grace. Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your empowerment. We need to die once and for all to our old nature and bury that old man deep, deep, deep. And Father, I pray that even in these moments, you would help us to accept ourselves for who we are in Christ. Accept, that we would accept ourselves as you accept us. And Father, I pray that if there is any mistake, sin, tragedy, whatever it is, that, that if anyone is holding on to unforgiveness against themselves, I pray that today they would be willing to step off of the judge's throne, that they would receive forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus. In fact, if we can do that for a moment, we'll just stay silent. If there's something that you know you're holding against yourself, I mean, picture that you're holding yourself in constant judgment and condemnation if you're in unforgiveness towards yourself. So I'm just gonna be silent for a few moments here. If there's something that's in your mind, I want you to choose to forgive yourself in this moment and find freedom in the Lord.
I sense the Lord saying there's people in their 40s and 50s here uh, that did things in your teen, I just hear teenage years and they're in their 40s and 50s. Teenage years in their 40s and 50s. So that qualifies for you if you're in your 40s or 50s and you've done something in your teenage years that you feel like is so locked up that you can't forgive yourself. Find freedom today. Know that the Lord has forgiven and forgotten all of your sins. The blood of Jesus is worth it all. Just allow the blood of Jesus to cover that mistake, cover that sin. He does not, listen, it doesn't matter how much rebellion you were in at that age, in your teenage years. His blood is more powerful than that. Just receive forgiveness, receive love, receive acceptance of the Lord today. We're just gonna shift our focus. If there's people that you know that you have not forgiven for anything, someone that's hurt you, and it could have been severe. It could have cost you greatly. If you're holding on to it today, take that step today to offer forgiveness in these next few moments. God, today we just choose to believe what you, your word says, that perfect love casts out and drives out all fear. So we don't want to live in fear of punishment. We don't want to live in fear of people not liking our social media pages. We don't want to live in fear of a lost reputation. We want to live for you. So Father, we just ask that leaving this this room today, God, that you uh, you would empower us once again to live a simple life of love that Jesus lived with those who are closest to us, to those who we barely know but might not like us. Let us be love to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask, uh, as you leave today, I'm gonna ask our altar team to come up. Some of you might just, something may have pinged your heart in a greater way that you just want additional support in. So our altar workers can come on up here. If you need any other prayer for anything else, you're welcome to come forward. If it's something from this message, you're welcome to come forward also. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.